The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Referring to Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we come before you here thankful for the privilege. You are God eternal, exalted high above the earth, and we are small, but we can talk to you. And for that privilege, we say thank you. You have made that possible by what You, Father, Son, and Spirit planned, accomplished, and then revealed to us at the cross. And so we know You. Most of us here in this room, we know You. You've done a marvelous work to save us. and You've thrown open the gates, opened the very door to Your throne room, and You invite us to come in and sit at Your feet and talk to You just like right now, and so we say, thank you, that is amazing. It should not be, but it is. Our Father in heaven, you welcome us in, and we pray now to you that your name would be honored here on this earth, in this place, as it is in heaven, as it should be now, and as it one day will be. When your kingdom fully comes, you will be honored everywhere on this place, everywhere in all of your creation. And we pray that day would come and we pray that a taste of that would come right now, that you would be central, big, loved, worshipped here in this place in our hearts right now. Father, bring that to pass. Use this passage of Scripture before us this morning in 1 Corinthians I ask you to commission your spirit, Father, to run here in our midst. The one who has gifted his people, would you now gift us again with attentiveness, with insight, conviction if needed, encouragement if needed. Spirit of God, would you make the word of God run and live and speak and give life. We're your people and we need you. We're thankful for the chance to talk to you and come near to you. And we pray that you would now work in us to make us more like the Son. Make us to love what the Son loves. Particularly this morning, I think, of His bride, the body, the church. Make us to love this people like He does. We need your help for that because we are bent away from it towards ourselves by nature. So help us, conform us to His image. Spirit of God, do that work here, please. In my heart, in the hearts of my brothers and sisters who sit here, change us. Would you open up this passage and help us to understand your word and what what you mean for us to be. And would you cause us to see it and rejoice in it, rejoice in you. I pray this so that we, your people, would be built and that God would be glorified here. Bring that to pass, Lord. In the name of Christ, I ask it. Amen. I'm not sure if the ringing is from the music or if it's from the... <laughs> we may tweak that a little bit. This morning we turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as we do so, we step into one of the more interesting sections of this book of 1 Corinthians. 
Next several, actually three chapters, are going to address the subject of, of spiritual gifts in one way or another. So we take a little turn here, but we are still in the flow of, of, the, of the book as a whole. We are, we are still in the, the flow of discussing worship service. Started that a few chapters ago. We're still in the flow of Paul answering questions that were presented to him by the Corinthians in a letter. We're, we're still in that. So there is some structural connection. And there's also some thematic connection with what's gone before. Behind this section, these three chapters, is the, the same deal that's been behind the whole letter. The, the problem in Corinth of, of individual, of, of self-focus, of pride of separation from others for the sake of elevation of self that comes when one forgets the gospel. That's kind of behind this whole section. So we have some thematic connection as well. We saw that idea last week in chapter 11, that the the self is opposed to the other. We looked at, at the one body of chapter 11, one covenant community, one people who eat of the one loaf and drink of the one cup in worship of the one Savior. called us there in that section to examine ourselves as as we come near as we draw near to god to examine ourselves are we are you discerning the body are you thinking carefully about the body and how you may do it good as you draw near to god or conversely you're saying i want to be tight with you god if you can just get rid of all the rest of them that would be helpful discern what's going on in your heart christ and the body last week which leads us right into this week and following. Christ and the body. God, the body. The topic of spiritual gifts. Because the gifts are for the body. So we start with that in chapter 12 today. And we'll be in it for a number of of weeks. There are at least three chapters and we'll touch on a number of different things. So we're going to say the first word on spiritual gifts this morning, but not the last. There'll be many things that I won't address. But he he addresses spiritual gifts, and as we work through this, we'll notice that he has in mind particularly two gifts, tongues and prophecy. It seems that those were significant issues in Corinth. Circles around to them, and really by chapter 14 we realize those are the ones he's actually talking about. The ones he gives extended treatment of. We got gifts, but then really just a couple of them are the focus, because they are the issue, they are the problem. So we'll touch on gifts this morning. Spiritual gifts as a way of, as Paul does again here, as a way of talking about what's going on inside of us as we think about the body. So let me read. Read chapter 12. I'm going to read through verse 13, although really I'll only be focusing on verse 1 through 11. But 13 sets the context well. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 1 through 13. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12. 
verses 1 and 2 introduce this larger section by indicating that Paul is going to be informing the church. He's got this perspective, I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of teach, educate, clear up some problems here about something that they've misunderstood from even back before they were Christians. So they've, they've misunderstood it before and they still misunderstand it even now as Christians. Back when they followed after mute idols, which he calls the mute to contrast with the speaking that he's going to be talking about. Back when they followed those idols, and even now today, it seems that the issue they have is, what's spiritual? I know. Something that says, wow, that's spiritual. Whether it be a gift that's amazing to look at, captivating, showy, Powerful, perhaps, that right there, that's spiritual. Tongues and prophecy fit really well with that. That's the problem he wants to clear up. Concerning spiritual gifts. Now, the word there in verse 1, you probably have spiritual gifts in your English. It's a different word than is the word down in verse 4, the usual word for spiritual gifts. Really, the emphasis in verse 1 is on the spiritual concerning the spiritual is it is that the spiritual let me clarify verse three brothers sisters i want you to know what's the spiritual the one who says jesus is lord and only the one who says jesus is lord they're coming at this saying what is the spiritual is going to be discerned by looking at the gift and the power and he says what spiritual is discerned by looking at the stance on Christ. The phrase Jesus is Lord code for I affirm I'm a Christian. The other stance is not a Christian. He's not just talking about can you utter the words Jesus is Lord or Jesus is accursed. I just uttered those words myself several times. It doesn't mean anything to actually say the words. He's talking about life. Where do you stand? What do you say with you? What comes off of your lips and out of your life? And if a person is saying, Christ is Lord, he's spiritual. There is the work of the Spirit. And if a person is not, he isn't. which has the effect right here at the start of saying Christians are spiritual. And I I make this motion here. He's leveling the playing field. This one over here has a gift that's a sort of gift. Level. Sure, she's spiritual. So is he. Because they are Christians. Setting up the whole section by saying, does so-and-so right here walk with Christ? Then he's spiritual. All in the same bucket. Now, that being said, verse 4, there's great big differences. Got this, this unity and this diversity. All throughout, working both of them here, there is a a level playing field. However, there is indeed a great big variety of gifts, all different. Here in verse 4, then, we switch to the word from which we get our word charismatic. The root of this word is grace. What he says in verse 4, now there are varieties of things of grace. So think about this. As we walk through this, we're going to see a variety of gifts. You've got a gift, you've got a gift, you've got a gift. We're all spiritual. In in a very real sense, every single Christian is a charismatic. Really. Now, of course, that word means something different today. But we we should start off as we approach this whole section by realizing if you are a Christian, you are a charismatic You are given a grace gift. And there is no significant difference between this grace gift and that grace gift. You're all spiritual. Sure, they're different, but you're all spiritual on the same page. But there's a variety of gifts, verse 4. 
variety, diversity. Notice how 4, 5, and 6 are are written in parallel. There is a variety of gifts. That is, a variety of service. The gifts are service. That is, a variety of, different translations, activity. A variety of affecting. It's the same word that's behind the empowering. It's in this passage twice. And the working. It's in this passage once in verse 8. A variety of workings, a variety of service, a variety of gifts. Our, our minds being shaped. To think about spiritual gifts, we should be thinking about service that is active and affecting, not just theoretical. It's, it's active, it has an impact by the power of God as He empowers it. All different, great, great variety, great diversity. And also, of course, a great unity. Because while there is a variety of gifts, a variety of service, and a variety of activities, it is the same Spirit and the same Lord Christ and the same God the Father. You notice the Trinity there? He's doing the same thing He did back in chapter 11. Remember back in chapter 11, we talked about this two weeks ago, where He talked about how men and women are different in regards to headship? and yet are the same identical in regards to being value-worth, and he rooted that in the Trinity itself? Same thing here. We are all spiritual, but different in regards to the, the grace gifts given to us, rooting it in the Trinity itself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God, and in that triunity, they have different jobs, different roles, different responsibilities. We're reflecting the Trinity here in our different gifts. Seven and following then fleshes that out. To each one in the body is given a different manifestation of the Spirit. Notice the repeated drumbeat here. To one is given this gift through the Spirit. To another, that gift through the same Spirit. To another, that gift through the same Spirit. To another, through the Spirit, to another, through the Spirit. And this gift, and this gift, and this gift, miracles and prophecy and distinguishing spirits and speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. What do all those things mean? I suppose at some point we'll talk about some of those things. But not today. Because when we... When we read a passage like this, so often we end up missing the point because we focus on a particular tree and try to figure out what exactly is. Paul never explains. It doesn't even exist here for the purpose of making us think about that particular gift. It's in a bigger context. He's got another agenda. And you can see it in the drumbeat. To one by the Spirit, to another by the Spirit, to another by the Spirit, and this and this and this and this, verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. All the various gifts. This is not an exhaustive list. There are other things in other lists. All given by the same Spirit as He wills. Just like how a human body works, we are one body with many different members. A unity that is diverse. That's the passage. That's the text in which God aims to teach the church about His grace in them, at work in believers. And I approach this text, I'm going to approach it this morning by asking it two questions. And from those two questions, I'm going to form my two observations. I'm going to ask what and why. What is it about? What's he doing? And why? Start with the what question. What has God done? And the answer, God sovereignly gives spiritual gifts to every member of the body. I think that's pretty plain in this passage. God sovereignly gives That is, according to His sovereign choice, God gives gifts to every single member of the body. 
Starting at the end in verse 11. All these, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Not as we will, as He wills. As He wills. Which of course, if the Spirit wills, He always wills what God the Father and God the Son wills. The Trinity is at work here. We have the Spirit who empowers in verse 11. Well, it was God the Father who empowered up in verse 6. The Trinity is at work here, working together. We focus on right here, God willing something, which we need to think really carefully about. This is foundational for these several chapters. Obviously, there are all kinds of different gifts. And obviously, if you've read these chapters, you know that at a couple different places, Paul will exhort Christians to, to seek, uh, seek out after gifts, to desire gifts. So there's, there's an appropriate way that, that we pursue and that we hone our skills. There's something to that. But at the foundational level, beneath all of that, of all of our thinking and desiring and practicing and studying, may apply to different gifts, beneath it all, is a decision made by God. I will give this to this one, this to this one, and I will not give this to this one. I won't. As He wills. The sovereignty of God is front and center on this. Given by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. The repeated drumbeat there, and then it closes off just in case we missed it. As He wills. Just like in the issue of salvation itself in this book, the sovereignty of God reigns over the gifting of saved ones. Remember from chapter 1? Back in chapter 1, he said that He is your source of life in Christ Jesus. This is chapter 1, verses 29 and 30. talks about how He chooses so that He is the one who is the source of life. And the conclusion, therefore, no one will boast. Very same idea coming now into the gifts. He is the one who chooses. He is the one who is the source of your gift and your gift and mine and ours so that no one may boast. This should blow a huge hole in the biggest of all problems with spiritual gifts, pride. The greatest problem in this whole arena of spiritual gifts is pride, either exerted in a I have a gift and I will, or pride that's a, a more of a quiet self-focus. I wish I had that gift and I'm upset that I don't and I'm depressed. Either way, it's a focus on self. And this should, right from the very beginning, say... God chooses. Are you okay with that? Are you? Whatever gift you have or don't, it's because He decided so. Are you okay with that? Then beyond are you okay with that, Are you delighted in that? We've got to have a a stance right here at the front door to say, God, whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you will and decide for my life, I'm okay with that and happy with that because I know it is good. It is good for me. It is good for us. It is good for your kingdom purposes. It is right. Thank you. Are you okay with that? Are you good with that? This shows up our, our, our discontent with that, our lack of being okay with that. Sometimes it shows up in pride, and it often shows up in kind of a, of a restlessness in us, a jealousy. You see somebody else's gift, somebody else's gift that's maybe just like yours, but a little bit more developed a little bit more injected with the power of God and we get jealous about that, God's over this. Brothers and sisters, let's rest in it. 
He decides. And He has indeed decided to give you a gift. Every single one. As He will, which means that He personally, individually, gave you something. It's not that He just took a bunch of gifts and threw them out there and wherever they fell, that's what you got. He, he personally gave to you at least one gift. Grace. A thing of grace given by the Spirit to you. What is it? And we want to know. I'm going to talk about that in a second here, but I want you to caution. I want you to put a, a little parenthetical pause on this question because very often in our modern world today we, we start to talk about spiritual gifts and what that has become for us today is some compilation of the gifts, gift lists and you have to compile them because they're never put all together in the Bible. And then somebody writes a book and makes a test. Then you take it and discover what your gift is. And there's some problems to that. I'm going to suggest another way to think about gifts. So, approach a gift like this. You don't have to separate what you're good at, what you like, what you're bent towards from the whole discussion about spiritual gifts. I know somebody who who thought like this, I can't have a spiritual gift that's in line with music because I've just always been musical. Don't think like that. God, who knows what he was going to spiritually gift you with, also equipped you with certain things in your nature and things in your environment. Those things very well may fit together. Don't throw out things that you've always kind of liked or been good at. Keep them on the table. And look at it like this. What do I, importantly, Others around me, as I move in the midst of the body, what do I find and what do others find has some sort of unique determination, unique ability, unique success, I'll even say? What am I motivated to give unique determination to? Do that. What spiritual gift is that? I don't know. And it doesn't matter. In a very real sense, it doesn't matter. Now, I know I'm I'm cutting against a whole lot of last two decades worth of teaching, but I think I'm resting in a couple of millennium of teaching. There weren't spiritual gift tests before the last couple decades. Realize that? Nobody wrote a book about that until recently. How did people find their gifts? They lived among, moved among the body, served, acted, loved, and gravitated. It looks like this. And you know this works because you know people that you think about, I have a need for something, who should I call? Because you know they'd be helpful. Who shouldn't I call? Because you know they wouldn't. You're sorting through giftings, though you don't realize it. And you don't have anybody's spiritual gift test on file. As you know people, and as you are known by people, as you act, and this is really important, you don't take a test to find your spiritual gifts, you act. You serve. You love, you get involved, and you do things, and then you find, that worked well, I'm going to do that again. That was a blessing. Somebody's going to ask me to do that again. And what you're finding is that you are becoming, developing. Maybe you can put a name on that. Maybe you can't. That's okay. Do it. If you, if you come into that with the mindset, I have a gift, I have an ability I have a way that God will grab my life and He will sort of supercharge something. It says twice in this passage, empowered by God. 
He will put power into it and it will run in some way. Now, you've got to be careful when you judge success. Successful teaching, for instance, might have somebody reject it. And you think, that didn't work. Maybe it did. Successful serving might have somebody reject it. I'm not very good at that. Maybe you are. And the problem wasn't in you, it was in the other one. Be careful how you judge success, but there's something about the power of God that comes into what you are doing, how you are acting, how you are behaving, what you are saying. It should make you think and make others think, huh, let's do that again. Let's ask her to do that one more time. And we're then discovering our place in God's world. The place He made for us. Maybe you can put a name on it, maybe you can't. God sovereignly gifts you. You individually. And it is important for you to think about that. Not in the abstract in a book, but engaged in the body. Because of the second question. Why did He gift you? I think that the second question, and I'm going there, I think the second question might be something that's maybe a little more challenging for us. Most of us, I think, here probably already understand the basic first point here that you have a gift. I want to plead with you at the beginning here of the second point. If you don't move into the second point, you could write a great big, so what, over the first point. And brothers and sisters, I think there's, I think, I hope, I pray, there's a new wind blowing through us. But we traditionally struggle with getting from the first to this second point. So I'm kind of alerting us up front. This is not rocket science. It just doesn't get done. The second point, why God gives spiritual gifts to His people to bless the body for His glory. To bless the body. What does verse 7 say? Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For my own good? For my own blessing? No. No. And I would, I would suggest, I hope, I struggle to do this sometimes, graciously and kindly, but pointedly, we have missed this. We, as a church, I think to many people, not to all, there's a new wind blowing, praise God, but I think to many people, we feel more like a jar full of marbles that image, than an interconnected body. In, in a body, it's sometimes hard to tell where one thing starts and another thing ends. They are connected and they need each other. A marble you can take out and put in, it is isolated. There are a bunch of them in that jar, but they are not connected. And they do not feed each other. If somebody pours water in, they all get wet, but they do not make each other wet. They do not feed each other. They're marbles. I think often we feel more like that. We mustn't. We're going to be a body. For the common good. Which obviously sometimes that common good is is some of the direct fruit of one of the gifts. Think, for instance, about verse 8. If someone is given an utterance of wisdom the body would be blessed. If, if I have that ability and I get in contact with somebody else, I utter wisdom into their life, they're blessed. Obviously, there's the common good is done there. Someone is given a gift of healing, presumably by, by prayer, then if somebody needs to be healed and somebody comes in contact with them, obviously there's a good done there. That's real clear. So another way to approach the good of the whole for the sake of the body Blessing that comes from this whole process. Because what happens if you get stuck together 
rather than, than isolated next to each other. If you get stuck together, friction develops. Friction that wears off edges, that exposes, that refines. It's sort of an indirect benefit for the whole. We come into a place where we need each other and that humbles us and it teaches us and it shows us shows our own weakness and our need. We need God, think about this, we need God to intervene in our lives. God to touch, God to speak, God to bless. I, I walk through life every day with that need. And how many of us read that verse in the Bible, He who needs wisdom, ask and God will supply it. How many of us read that like this? I will go by myself. God, give me wisdom. Please, give it to me right now. Give me wisdom. I need help. That's me. God, I need wisdom. Very well. I will give it to Him. Go humbly stand next to Him and let Him utter it to you in my power. I don't know if I want to do that. Why not? Think about why not. That would expose me. I'd be vulnerable. I'd be dependent on another person. And how would I know to sort through what that person says? Is it right or how do you know to sort through what your own mind says? Same way. But very often, we need knowledge. He gives you a teacher. You need help. He gives you someone with the gift of helps. You need wisdom. He gives you someone with wisdom. He gives us each other. It's as if He has designed a task of building a shed and gave every single one of us one arm. One arm. Somebody's going to have to saw and somebody else hold the board. Somebody's going to have to hold the nail and somebody else swing the hammer. It won't get done if we don't depend on each other. And the very process is going to create friction because every now and then the guy with the hammer is going to whack the guy with the nail. Right? And the, the benefit to the body that's a byproduct of that is then how they deal with that. A humble dependence, an apology and acceptance rather than an, an angry wanting to storm off and do it all by myself. I could do it better myself. I could do it myself. I know I could. There's great wisdom in how He has designed us to need each other to receive from each other that which He intends to give to us. We are conduits of grace. God very often connects to me through somebody else. Now, does He speak directly? Does He interact with me directly? Yes, of course. Of course, of course. Most of us have that. It's the other that's harder. You will be forever impoverished if you do not connect to that person. If you don't connect to the conduit of grace, the grace will not flow to you. And vice versa from you to her, to him. But we need to think about one more thing. We're, we're kind of branching into it a little bit with that, but when it says, for the common good, verse 7, we should ask another kind of larger question What is our good? Really, as I've just been talking about right there, is our good as if what I really need is more wisdom in this situation so that I can act wisely. And I need that. It'd be good to get that. But there's something more. What is our deepest, greatest good? And you can get a hint of that if you look at the first part of the verse. What is the spiritual gift he calls it there in verse 7, a manifestation of the Spirit. To manifest. To reveal. To disclose. This giving of a gift is a revealing of the Spirit for the common good. 
There's something in this process as God gives a spiritual gift, whatever the spiritual gift is, as God gives a spiritual gift repeatedly by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, it is revealing the Spirit. Revealing God and His working. What should happen? Learn this. What should happen as we sit and hear wise counsel is that we, we develop a, a deeply ingrained habit of looking beyond the speaker, beyond, wow, you're really wise. Beyond that. As we hear some, some really insightful teaching or some powerful preaching, to learn to look beyond, wow, you are a good preacher. Wow, that was really effective. To look beyond that and say, wow. The Spirit of God, God Himself revealed Himself in that to me. What a marvelous God. Do you see that? So that our eyes get bent beyond this person right here who's being helpful to me, this brother, this sister, get bent beyond that to see the one who stooped to minister to me through this vessel. It is God who does it. Apart from Him, they could do nothing. Zip. It is the grace of God. These are grace gifts. It is the grace of God coming through this one to me. If your eyes would be open to see that it is God revealing His goodness to you, not just to the one He gave the gift to, to you. To see that should stir your heart whenever that sister reaches out her hand and touches you to bless you, it is God doing it. Whenever that brother speaks to you and encourages you and exhorts you, it is God of the universe stooping to talk to teeny tiny you. Revealing himself in that gift. Learn that. Learn to think like that. To move through the body and, and see the things that we do, the giftings, the blessings that we dispense, to look, look beyond us to say, God is moving in our midst, blessing us, doing good to all of us by revealing Himself to us. The thing we most need and that does not come naturally. The sad truth is that we humans are habitually inclined to turn all of the gifts, not just back on human beings, but inevitably back on ourselves. To take things that are gifts given meant to be a blessing to the body and turn them to be actually about my abilities that are a blessing to me. So often we love ourselves more than we love our brothers. So we don't connect to them and become willing conduits of that grace to them. That takes time. That's messy. I might get my fingers whacked if I hold that nail. I don't know. We love ourselves when we love our brothers. And we love our own honor more than we love the honor of the gift giver. And so we readily accept and even work to acquire praise. Not overtly. Well, probably not overtly. But examine yourself. When you find something you do well, when you find something that people in the body give, a, give you a claim on, what happens in here? I, myself, I have so many inputs saying, watch that, watch that, watch that, watch that. It is alarming to me how quickly... Somebody will say to me something complimentary and the, the first 
a split second into it, the first thing is, and then I have to remember, watch that, watch that, watch that, and humble myself. But do you know what alarms me? That the first thing is, that's there. That is right there near the surface. The, the desire for me to turn gifts, 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 to be about me, to honor me, the, the fact that that is so right near the surface in me and in you, and in you, should alarm. Because it is evidence of, of poking through the surface, it is evidence of deeply rooted ungodliness. It's telling you, as it peeks through the surface, it's telling you, this is what I really am, and I have to control that. By, by the grace of God, it's a good thing to control it. But the fact that I have to put that on second tells me something. What popped up first. Brothers and sisters, I would suggest again that we have something of which we need to repent here. Perhaps for you it is this thing I'm talking about, about the desire to bend back the praise and make it about yourself. Maybe that's it. I think for a lot of us also, this, the pride and the self-focus in gifts shows itself in the fact that we do not engage with each other to serve and bless. We're marbles and not a body. Ask yourself if that's true of you. Ask yourself if you get up in the morning, think through the day, walking among the body of Christ, to be one who delivers the grace of God to them for their good and for His honor? Or do you stand off by yourself, not engaging with His purpose for you? His purpose for you. He gave you a gift to use in the game, but you're not in the game. Or when you get in the game, is it about you? Ask yourself that. Or to use the words of chapter 11, discern the body. Examine yourself. Reading from 28 and 29 from chapter 11. Think it through. And run to the upper room. Run back to the upper room and see yourself, forever see yourself seated there with a handful of others, the body of Christ in seed form, when Jesus takes the bread and breaks it for you. For my people, my covenant community. When He hands the cup to you, and this one, and this one, that you drink all from it, my people, my covenant community. One. The people that I join myself to and thereby join to each other. Do you see yourself there? It is not, as I said last week, it is not a dinner date for two. It is a family meal. And at the middle of it is the cross. The bread and the cup. That's the cross. And then he says at the end of this twice, remember me. Remember me. As often as you do this, remember me and declare my death until I come. Brothers and sisters, that, that has to be front and center in your minds. To see Him dying for us and making us an us and gifting you for us and calling you to be involved in us. It all flows out of a cross that makes a covenant with a people. You in the plural. 
May He press that on you and may you see it as real as life and eternity defining for you. He made you a member of a people. That's what He calls you to. That's what He gifts you for. Why He gifts you. With that mindset then, walk into the body and say, what can I give to this body? What can I do? What do I do well? What do I find that as I submit to God and say, use me, He seems to empower and bless. Do that. And do it again and again. Love and serve in Christ's name as Christ gifts you. For His glory and for all of our good. We're going to move towards communion, and so I'm going to give some time here now to consider the body. Let me read 11, 27, 8, and 9, and give us some time to think and pray before we move to communion. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And here's what we are to examine. Here's what it means to eat in an unworthy manner. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Give careful thought to the body and your place in it. And then we will celebrate what the Lord has done to make that body. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.